Hi friends, I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead Dead Drunk. Drunk. guys hey you guys might have noticed that there's only two voices on that intro this week yeah katie's like being an adult she has like a lot of adult shit going on so she couldn't make it here with us today and we miss her yeah that's okay though she'll be back yes the new year will be new year new katie new year new katie (laughs) (laughs) don't worry we didn't we didn't kick her off we didn't kill her we didn't and we're not really changing her. She'll be the same Katie. Yeah. But <laughs> but that's like what makes her charming, right? Right. That's the Katie we know and love. And she'll <laughs> I, be back I love in that. 2020. Uh, dun, dun, dun. The roaring 20s. Here we come. So, Tierney. Yeah. What number time was it seeing Dear Evan Hansen this past weekend? <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you at home that don't know, I have... Um, I would say it's a healthy obsession, not an unhealthy obsession. It's definitely an obsession. Yeah. Um, with the show Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> Um, I'm really surprised that I haven't tried to sing it on the podcast yet. I don't think I've ever done that. No, it hasn't been relevant to one of our cases yet. We'll I hope there. it's never. I, relevant, yeah, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was my fifth time this weekend. And <sighs> so I, I also have like an unhealthy, this one's unhealthy obsession with the kid who plays Dear Evan Hansen. Oh yeah, no, that well, one's not, not dear healthy. Evan Hansen, he doesn't play Dear Evan Hansen. He <laughs> plays Evan Hansen in Dear Evan Hansen. Dear kid who um, plays Evan Hansen. <laughs> he's seventeen, but he, I I'm not like trying to like date him. I just like think he's really cool. Whatever. Um, I have that same feeling there. for Jason Momoa. Just so you know. Oh, <laughs> I would like to date Jason Momoa. No, um, I just want to like live in their house for i don't know six months (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a good amount of time um no so his girlfriend was there and i was like i hate her but i like don't hate her she's probably a a nice girl she's like 18 i don't know i'm such like an asshole and i hate myself but anyway um so i when i was in disney world i bought him a present and it was like a pin from galaxy's edge because he loves star wars and so I was waiting at the stage door for him to come out to give it to him. And then he didn't come out. Oh, my God. And I was so sad. So then uh, Carly and I, Carly's my friend that I went with. Shout out, Carly. Um, decided that we were going to buy tickets to his last show. That's January 26th. So I'm going back again for the sixth time. Oh, my God. So hopefully <laughs> he'll come out so I can give him his present otherwise. Oh, what's he moving on to do? What's he going to do after this? He's going to Harvard. <laughs> That's dope. I know. Wow. Congrats to you, <laughs> kid Congrats who plays Andrew. Dear Evan Hansen. Evan Hansen in Dear Evan Hansen. Maybe if if I give him the present and he really likes me, I'll tell him to listen to this episode. Mm, yeah. Not going to happen. No. He can't drink alcohol, so he would be sad. Speaking of alcohol, should we talk about the drink for this episode? Yes. I would love to know what we're going to drink to get through this story. All right. So as you have probably seen by the title... We are talking about the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and our drink for this week is called the German Mule. You will understand why it's called the German Mule as we get into the story. So what you're going to do <laughs> is <laughs> you're going to take a fourth of an ounce of bourbon infused with 
hot cinnamon spices. And then you're going to take three-fourths of an ounce of apple liqueur. And then you're going to top it with ginger beer. And that's it. It's super good, you guys. It's yeah. a really good fall into winter drink. Yes. And which it's Which is what we're doing in New York. We're literally falling into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, it's just like, here's snow. Thank you. Goodbye. Or hail or whatever it decided to do that mix. day. I hate that word. Just tell me what to expect <laughs> on the road. Just a wintry mix. Alrighty. So with that, let's get into the case. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. I really want to hear Sweet. more about this. I have heard Lindbergh kidnapping so many different times. Like, I mean, they make fun of it in Family Guy where he just gets flushed down the toilet. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've never actually, I don't know anything about it. Yeah. I had never heard anything about it until... I was like sitting with my dad at dinner and he was like, I don't even know what he, he usually comes up with like true crime cases to tell me about. And he told me about this one and I was like, wait, holy shit. <laughs> and so then I researched it and now we're doing it. So thanks dad for the recommendation. Thanks dad. Tierney's dad. My dad doesn't <laughs> listen. So thanks dad. <laughs> I don't know that my dad listens either, but he's supportive. So that's, all, that's all that matters. Yeah. That sounds like a really cool dinner. Like, I, I, nobody talks to me about true crime over dinner except for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> All right. So, before I begin, I just want to preface that there is some speculation that the Limbergs were not the best people and that they were, like, anti-Semitic, like, Nazi people and that they were racist. Um, and so, I'm not really going to get in too far into that because it's not completely relevant, but I just wanted to put it out there. We obviously don't agree with those views, but it's a really interesting case. And so here we go. Okay, cool. Just like a little uh, PSA. <laughs> PSA. They might have sucked, but <laughs> they but might we don't. have hated the Jews, but we don't. <laughs> oh, no, I don't. I definitely don't. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So Charles Lindbergh was an accomplished American aviator. Call back to our Amelia Earhart case. He was the first man to fly solo across the Atlantic, which was the same feat that Amelia Earhart completed a few years later, but she was the first woman. So women do it better. Similar. So yes. <laughs> he was an officer in the U.S. Army Air Corps Reserve, and he even received the Medal of Honor for his accomplishments in aviation. Ooh, clap, clap, clap. While flying on a goodwill tour in Mexico, Charles met his future wife, Anne Morrow. She was a woman born from privilege and was a top student at Smith College. Anne was in Mexico visiting her father, who was U.S. ambassador there, and when she met Charles, the two fell in love quite quickly. After Ooh. just four dates, the couple got engaged. Whoa. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it reminds me of Frozen. <laughs> you can't marry a man you just <laughs> met. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's true love. <laughs> okay. So of this quick engagement, Anne said... He opened the door to real life, and although it frightened me, it also beckoned. I had to go. Wow. What did, oh. Where did she write this? Like, in her novel? I think she had a journal. Wow. She wrote it like she was going to get it published <laughs> one day. That's well, not... I've never once... Known. It beckoned, and I had to go for the call in my <laughs> journal, talking about, I don't know, SUNY well, New Paltz. She was I've a never top <laughs> student. She just was a, a good writer, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, but I don't... Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, Anne. <laughs> All right. So Anne, being the intelligent woman she was, quickly learned how to fly and operate the radio. And then the two became a flight duo and flew all over the world together. Wow. That's super, super romantic. Cool. I, I know. Like, imagine couple goals. <laughs> but okay, not really. Sorry, making fun of your dope wordplay, Anne. I'm so... It wasn't wordplay. Your dope words, Anne. <laughs> sorry. 
In May of 1929, Charles married his wife, Anne, and the two had six children together. Okay. Whoa. Because of Lindbergh's fame, the family became very well-liked across America. With this fame came some difficulties for the couple, and in 1932, their biggest nightmare came true. On the night of March 1st, their 20-month-year-old baby... 20-month-year-old? What? (laughs) 20-month-year-old? Their their 20-month-old baby, who was named after his father went missing from the second story of their home in East Amwell, New Jersey. At approximately 10 p.m., the family's nurse, Betty Gow, went to check on Charlie Jr., only to find that he was not in his crib. She immediately went downstairs and reported it to Charles and Anne, at first thinking that it was some kind of joke that they had, like, taken him out to play a trick on her. Is that something they would usually do? I I mean, I don't know. She was just kind of like, huh, like, ha-ha, the baby's missing. She wasn't expecting the worst. She was, you know what I mean? She was kind of like, oh, they must have taken him out or something. Oh, I think I would have thought the same thing because you don't want to. Well, I wouldn't have because we talk about true crime a lot. I would have immediately (laughs) been like, oh my gosh. That's true. (laughs) Zodiac killer. (laughs) So, however, she realized that it was not a joke when Charles turned to Anne and said, Anne, someone has stolen our baby. Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> which the drama with these people is yeah. just <laughs> and that i don't know that seemed a little odd to me because like whose first instinct is that the baby has been stolen not like maybe that he guy's. climbed out of the crib like let's look everywhere over the house oh my god like where is he they're like he's he's somebody stole him he's oh, gone yeah. when was it it's 1939 or 1930 1932 oh that's like way before people started being afraid of other people yeah which um, at this time kidnapping was not a federal offense what it became a federal (laughs) offense after this this is like set the doesn't that give you a great perspective on how horrible humanity was like initially we didn't think this was gonna be a problem right turns out it's something people do people yeah (laughs) um so yeah i mean we never know how we're gonna react in a situation but it seemed a little odd to me that he just jumped to that conclusion straight away like somebody's stolen our baby i don't know i mean that's just a weird dramatic thing i could just i could see it in an investigation Someone discovery reaction our baby <laughs> yeah. yeah like this poor actor who really wanted to be in like a sitcom is on the investigation discovery show <laughs> Lindbergh kidnapping i don't that's not really a show but cover it id <laughs> it and then <laughs> and then he's like somebody's stolen our baby <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> commercial break <laughs> yeah and then they tell you like after the commercial break who done it Speaking of commercial break. (laughs) Hi, friends. We want to tell you about a new podcast called Ruck Up Podcast. The show is geared toward military, law enforcement, security professionals, and outdoor enthusiasts all around the world. They talk with fantastic people in some of the most dangerous jobs out there and find what makes us all tick. Ruck Up Podcast also helps support vets through DV Radio and Child Rescue Initiative to help children around the world escape slavery. Their goal is to educate the masses on safety and protection, which is us too. Like, be safe, don't get murdered. You know, all that shit, right? Yeah. Don't (laughs) trust anybody. Yeah. (laughs) So you can join this podcast at ruckupmedia.com or find Ruck Up Podcast on any of your podcast apps. And I'm going to play a little little ad for you now so they can tell you more themselves. Okay. Bye. At Ruck Up Podcast, we take a little bit of a different approach 
we take industry professionals from law enforcement, military, security, and outdoors enthusiasts all around the world, and we hear their story. So let's hear it. Attack or infiltration or suspected infiltration, and we have to be ready to uh, We're all re- allegedly massacred by the, the crime prince, and I was there not to do with that. I arrived the day after. Check us out at our website at rockupmedia.com. So a search of the house was done immediately, and it was then that they found a note on the windowsill of the nursery, a ransom note demanding $50,000 for the safe return of their son. Oh, my God. I wanted to mention that because of inflation, that would be almost a million dollars today. I was just going to ask you, how yeah. much would that be? Yeah. In today dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot. Like $50,000 is a lot, but like more than that, like a million. Because right? they knew this family had money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes I think a hundred dollars. Most of the time, I think a hundred dollars is a lot. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, true. So I thought that was a lot. Oh my gosh! Although for a baby, I think you pay roughly that to give birth to a baby now. So, upon searching the house, police quickly found muddy footprints in the nursery and under the window of the nursery. However, these footprints were impossible to measure because they were kind of smudged, so they weren't really a big help to police. Upon their arrival, Charles also led police to a ladder. This ladder was about 50 yards away from the nursery window. And because of two holes in the dirt underneath the window, the police believed that the kidnapper had used it to enter and exit the home. The ladder was just like chilling up against their house before? No, it was was tossed like 50 yards away. Oh, okay. (laughs) And I'll get back to why it's kind of a little strange, but... Um, the ladder was also broken, which indicated that it may have been split during either the ascent or descent from the house. And yeah, we'll get back to the ladder later. Just keep it in mind because it becomes a huge piece of the story. Okay. So the employees of the estate were all questioned and investigated, but no leads turned up. At this point, Charles Lindbergh wanted to begin to cooperate with the kidnappers and see if they could negotiate the ransom. On March 6th, a second ransom note appeared. It came to Charles via mail and was postmarked from Brooklyn, New York. In the note, the demanded ransom was increased to $70,000, which in today's money is $1.2 million. After multiple negotiations and multiple notes that were sent back and forth, the police and Lindbergh decided to pay the ransom. But do not worry because they had a plan. A man named Dr. Condon, who was a retired school principal living in the Bronx, was appointed as the go-between for the exchange. The instructions from the kidnapper were for Dr. Condon to meet an identified man by the Woodland Cemetery, and the man called himself John. He would later be known as Cemetery John in the case. Oh, okay. At this meeting, they discussed the payment, and Condon negotiated that the kidnapper should bring a token to prove the identity of the baby. They wanted to make sure they were meeting the right people who actually had their baby, especially since the story had been blown up in the media, because as you can imagine, they had people trying to scan them left and right because they knew they had money. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. There were like multiple people that got arrested for it. Oh, good. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Condon received the child's pajamas along with, by this time, the seventh ransom note. The pajamas were taken to Lindbergh and identified as the ones that baby Charlie was wearing the night when he was taken. On March 29th, Betty Gow, the nurse, found the child's thumb guard at the entrance to the estate, and he had also been wearing that the night he was taken, so somebody had dropped it there. What's a thumb guard? I had to look that up, too. Oh, my God. It's, um... It's like a thing. It's like a plastic thing that you put on a baby's thumb. So when they suck their thumb, they're not like sucking on their skin. 
Oh, is it dangerous for them to suck on their skin? I mean, I don't know. I know it's not like, good to suck on your thumb because of your teeth. So I, I thought it would be to stop that. I have no idea. All right. It's like a, I don't have a baby. I don't know. I, I don't know. I always think of like. Do we have parents that listen? Let me know. What is yeah. this thing about? <laughs> we have people from the 1930s that had to wear these things when they were. Oh, how old would you be if you were born in the 1930s? Um, Dead, probably. <laughs> dead, dead, probably. <laughs> the ransom notes continued threatening to increase the ransom as well as insisting that this kidnapping had been planned for over a year. The ransom note said that? Yeah. Oh, he's bragging now. I know. Uh, The 10th ransom note was received on April 1st, and it told Condon to have the money ready on the next night. So on April 2nd, an 11th note was delivered to Condon by an unidentified taxi driver who said that he had received it from an unknown man. In this note, they instructed that a 12th ransom note would be found under a stone in front of a greenhouse in the Bronx. Oh, my God. And uh, he's, like, sending him on a scavenger hunt. The next clue is, like... (laughs) That's crazy. Why? (laughs) There's so much involved in this. I I can believe it's been planned for a year. Yeah. So the 12th ransom note was under the stone, and it had instructions for Condon to meet Cemetery John again. This time, when Condon met John, he paid him the ransom. In exchange for the money... Cemetery John gave Condon a note. The note told Condon that the child could be found on a boat called Nellie on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Extensive searches were done in the Martha's Vineyard area. However, nothing was found. Oh, my God. Like no boats at all or no boats named Nellie at all? I have no idea. They're like they couldn't find the baby, basically. I don't know if there was actually a boat or not. But so on May 12th of 1932... The body of Charles Lindbergh Jr. was accidentally found four and a half miles south of the Lindbergh home. The baby was half buried and badly decomposed. His head had been crushed and it was determined to be the cause of death. It was also determined that the child had died the night of the kidnapping. At this point, police were now investigating a murder, not a kidnapping. Because of this, they began re-questioning the people that were close to the family. It was at this time that a waitress in the home of Mrs. Lindbergh's mother did something a little suspicious. The night before she was to be re-questioned by the police, she committed suicide by swallowing poison. Whoa. That's Anne's mother? Anne's the mother's waitress that like worked. They were like really rich people. I'm pretty sure she had like in her house like a Whoa. like wait staff or something. That's insane. Yeah. This obviously was of interest to police. However, after closely examining her movements on the night of the kidnapping, they were able to rule her out as a suspect. She had nothing to do with it. It was just a red herring. She had really poor timing there. Somebody should have sang to her, you will be found. Oh, you found it. Crashing through. <laughs> you need a she found the connection, you guys. Guess what's happening? On the this. <laughs> you will be found. Anyway. <clears throat> I'm glad that you finished it. I was going to say, <laughs> please just finish the court. <laughs> okay, so the ransom notes were examined by handwriting experts, and virtually all of them were under the impression that the notes were written by the same person. They also determined that this person was probably of German descent, but had spent a considerable amount of time in America. I'm not really sure how they can tell from looking at somebody's handwriting that they're German, but... Maybe they could, I was just going to ask you that, by the way, but then I thought, what if they could see that he was like struggling to write in English instead of in German? Yeah. I wonder if you could tell by the pen strokes. Yeah, because I don't know how like German, this is going to make me sound so uncultured. German letters? Does Germany have like different letters? 
No. Okay, well, I don't think so. I have no idea. Whatever. I think that Russia and like Mandarin and Japanese are the only people that have really different characters. Yeah, I'm not really sure, but that's what the experts decided. According to Dr. Condon, Cemetery John was a Scandinavian man. Condon was convinced that he would be able to recognize him if he ever saw him again. And so artists were hired to make sketches of both him and the taxi driver that had delivered the ransom note to him. They also had Condon imitate their conversations to get a sense of Cemetery John's dialect so that they could make more concrete claims about what his profile was. Which, I don't know, I'm just like picturing Condon doing a like horrible German accent. Like, <laughs> Yeah, if anybody asked me that, I would not be able to do it. Yeah. Do you have the money? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so remember the ladder? What ladder? No, yeah, I remember the ladder. (laughs) So police decided that examining this ladder more closely could possibly lead them to information about the killer. They were able to realize that it was not constructed very well, but was obviously done by somebody that had some knowledge of mechanics. After analyzing the wood, they were also able to identify the type of wood that had been used. This is when they brought in a wood expert uh (laughs) named Arthur Kohler. (laughs) To examine the wood more closely. (laughs) Sounds so dirty. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Arthur Kohler, wood expert. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a porn. (laughs) (laughs) Down, ticka, down. (laughs) Hey, I'm Arthur Kohler. I'm here to examine your wood. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very specific type of porn. (laughs) Anywho, (laughs) he identified that the nail holes that were present indicated that the wood had been used previously in some kind of indoor construction. And again, this will be important later. So remember when I said they had a plan? Yeah, they were planning it for a year, right? So it was no, pretty like intense. the detectives had a plan when they agreed to. Oh, different ransom. plans. Yes. yes. The good guys There's had so a plan. many plans, but this is the good guy plan. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So detectives decided to work with the bank to track the serial numbers on the money that was used to pay the ransom. So this way, whenever they were deposited or used, they could try to connect it to who used it, which I think was a pretty good tactic. And on September 18th of 1934, two years after Charlie's death, it finally paid off. They didn't use the money for two years. Um, they Is might. Is that what that means? I think that they did, but it was hard to identify the person who used it. Like people had oh. said, like given descriptions of him, but they didn't know like his name or anything like that. Oh, so in this instance, he gave his name, and they finally got somebody. Well. At about 1 p.m., a teller at the Corn Exchange Bank and Trust Company discovered a $10 gold certificate that was a match. They were able to figure out that the bill had been used at a gas station on Lexington Avenue on September 15th, which was about three days earlier. And when they called the gas station, the attendant said that they had been suspicious of the certificate when it had been used. And so the the attendant wrote down the license plate of the man who used it. What a great job that attendant did. Like, imagine that guy. Right. He should not be working at (laughs) freaking mobile or whatever it was. (laughs) All right. So when they looked up the plate, it led them straight to the man it was registered to. A man who matched the description of their suspect perfectly. And this man was Bruno Richard Hotman. Hotman. (laughs) Right? How would I know? I'm not looking at it. Hotman. (laughs) 
<laughs> Spell it for me. H a u p t a m a n n. Hop Hopman. 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 Yeah. Hopman. Bruno <laughs> Richard Hopman. Okay. Hopman. 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 <laughs> Hopman. Right. She asked Hopman. me, not Hopman. looking at it. Hopman. <laughs> so Hopman was a German carpenter who had spent the last eleven years living in America. Which is exactly what they said. They yeah. had writing people. I don't know how they did that, but okay. They really nailed it. They all nailed it. They were like, mm, this guy works with wood yeah. and he's from Germany and like, oh, wow, holy shit. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like what? When he was called into the police station, he was carrying a $20 certificate that also fit the serial number of the ransom. So he still had money on him. Good job, buddy. It. Yeah. Police also noted that this guy fit the description of Cemetery John to a T, and he looked exactly like the police sketch that had been made. So we'll post the side-by-side on our website, but Shelby, what do you think? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, they nailed it. Right? They, they nailed it. <laughs> like that, like, <laughs> that's, I can't even, that, that guy that's is Bruno. He's Cemetery Bruno. He's the- <laughs> yeah, he's not Cemetery John. He's Cemetery Bruno. <laughs> Maybe I'll call him Bruno instead of Hotman if I keep stumbling over <laughs> Hotman. <laughs> so shortly after this, Dr. Condon positively identified Bruno as Cemetery John. They also searched his residence and found another $13,000 in his garage, all matching the money that was used for the ransom. His car, a Dodge sedan, had also been reported to have been seen in the area of the Lindbergh home the night before the kidnapping. Hotman had worked as a carpenter since arriving in New York City and was married to a waitress and had a small family. However, right before the ransom was paid, Hotman stopped working and instead began trading stocks. Oh, that's not suspicious in yeah. any way, shape, <laughs> like, or form. Maybe because he came into some money? I'm not sure. <laughs> During the trial, Hotman was tried on all circumstantial evidence since no DNA was really found to link him to the crime. It's pretty good circumstantial evidence. Yeah. The circumstantial evidence was extensive. Besides what I've already mentioned, his handwriting matched the ransom notes and Dr. Condon's phone number and address were found scrawled in a door frame in his home. In a door frame? Yeah. Like on a piece of paper in a door frame or in like on the door frame? I I think it was like on the door. Oh my gosh. I'm not sure. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So remember the ladder? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember the great ladder. Remember the wood expert? Yeah. Arthur Uh Wood. (laughs) Arthur Kohler, the wood expert. I want to see his business business cards. Right? (laughs) His business cards. (laughs) Add me on LinkedIn. (laughs) Arthur Kohler, wood expert. (laughs) All right. Anyway, the wood expert, Arthur Kohler, had said that the wood had been previously used probably in indoor construction. In the case of Hotman, the marks on the ladder matched tools that Hotman owned, and the wood matched the wood in the floorboards of his attic. So Hotman was found guilty and sentenced to death. After many appeals that did not go well for him, he ended up being electrocuted on April 3rd of 1936 at 8.47 p.m. A lot of controversy swirls around this crime, most of it related to the ladder itself. If you remember, Lindbergh led the police straight to the ladder in complete darkness. He didn't have a flashlight, and he said that one of his workers at his house was like going to pick up batteries for it, but he didn't need it, and he literally walked the police right to the ladder in the middle of the night. So I'm not really sure how he would have known it was there. Oh, that's kind of that's suspicious. That's yeah. fishy. Yeah. 
It should also be noted that by the time they took fingerprints off the ladder, it had been touched by like a lot of people Mm -hmm. and they were able to lift 400 sets of fingerprints off it. Whoa. And guess what? None None of them matched Hotman. His fingerprints were nowhere on the ladder. Oh no. Upon searching the crime scene in the first place, police noticed that the holes in the dirt that were supposedly made from where the ladder had been placed were not very deep and perhaps not deep enough to support the idea that a full-grown man and like a 30-pound sack of a child would have made deeper holes if their weight had actually been placed on the ladder. Oh. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it kind of oh. looks like somebody like put it up against it and then like nobody actually stood on it. Oh, like they just kind of dug it into the ground. Yeah. Oh, okay. They were thinking that the holes would be deeper if somebody had actually it makes sense used it it was march right in new jersey yeah so it's like rainy season Mm -hmm. so they would have it was muddy yeah so this led them to do an experiment the new jersey police built several replicas of the ladder and attempted to reenact the kidnapping the ladder was a little too short and not only did the police struggle to get into the window in the first place but none of them could get out of the window and scale back down the ladder holding the 30 pound sack that they used it was nearly impossible because of the dimensions of the ladder. Oh, my God. But nobody thought to do this, like, before? A little bit earlier? I, no, they did it before. They just... Oh, they did all I'm this now before. presenting all oh. of the uh, other evidence to you because... Oh, shady, shady New mm-hmm. Jersey. <laughs> so it is theorized that this ladder could have actually been made by Lindbergh himself. Police that worked in the Lindbergh home upon being interviewed, said that it looked like the kind of ladders that they had used around the house. And it was also the perfect size for his wife Anne to use to get in and out of their airplanes. The ladder was also a telescoping ladder, which meant that it could be collapsed in order to fit in smaller places to then be stored. And it would have made the perfect ladder to bring on an airplane during their travel because it would take up less room than a normal ladder. So it was almost like you could take the ladder out, use it to get onto the plane, and then fold it up and put it inside. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, I mean, either way, whoever made it, it wasn't designed with the Lindbergh home in mind, which was part of the case against Hotman in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't designed to hold that much weight. Right. Which is, I mean, it was broken, so I'm not really sure how that happened. But, yeah. So, if we were to go with the theory that maybe Lindbergh was involved somehow, you're probably wondering why. Because why would a father want his son to be kidnapped and then later killed? I said we wouldn't go too far into like the Nazi-like qualities of this family. However, it's important to just mention that Lindbergh was very much into eugenics. He wanted his family to be perfect. And there are reports that little Charlie was not exactly perfect. He reportedly had rickets, which is a type of disease caused by the lack of vitamin D that left him with distortion of his bones. Typically, people with this disease have like bowed legs and other physical traits that are abnormal. So... People thought that this might have been a motive oh, for Lindbergh so to want to get rid different. of his son. He would have just been a little bit different. Yeah. Which is not, he doesn't really fit like the picture perfect American family that Lindbergh tried to make them seem like. Okay. In addition to this, Lindbergh took much of the investigation into his own hands, like almost reminds me of Ted Bundy. <laughs> um, and then he also isolated certain members of the household and staff from being questioned by the fbi he like wouldn't let them talk which is oh. interesting 
I didn't know that people were allowed to do that, but okay. Um, Charles he, Lindbergh apparently yeah, is. Well, because he is so famous and mm-hmm. great. Um, he also did not allow for a proper autopsy to be done. They did like a very like cursory autopsy and then he had his son's body cremated like right away. Wow. Okay. The night of the kidnapping, Lindbergh also missed a business engagement where he was supposed to speak. And this, along with the other information I've shared with you, does kind of make Lindbergh seem suspicious to me. Yeah. No, it's kind of it's kind of fishy. Yeah. Um, another name that has also surfaced regarding the kidnapping is that of John Knoll. In 2012, a book was published called Cemetery John, the Undiscovered Mastermind of the Lindbergh Kidnapping. And its author, Gene Zorn, claims that as a teenager at the time of the kidnapping, he witnessed John Knoll and his brother Walter conspiring about the kidnapping, mentioning Hotman's name. And the Knolls, like Hotman, were also German immigrants. And I guess Gene knew a little bit of German and were able to... Was able to understand like bits and pieces of their conversation they were doing having this conversation at the palisades mall apparently oh (laughs) yeah such a great place to talk about really shady stuff yeah (laughs) so it is theorized that the kidnapping was not a one-man job because of how he couldn't have gotten into with the ladder and all that stuff and the taxi driver the taxi driver looked different than cemetery john right that's what he said Mm -hmm. yeah so hotman if he was involved definitely had help in my opinion could the Knowles have been involved? Maybe. Could Lindbergh himself have been involved? Possibly. Um, as I said before, the evidence against Hopman was all circumstantial. The only forensic evidence that there was that was not properly explored was the DNA on the closures of the ransom notes, like when you look an envelope. Mm-hmm. It was never tested for the DNA from the saliva. According to professionals, the envelopes are still in really good condition and could hold the key who t- to who was really involved. But because Hotman is dead, and I believe that John Knoll is dead, um, and Lindbergh is dead, and they're all Mm -hmm. um, not alive anymore, it could only be tested against DNA from his relatives, which may not be able to provide a definite answer. So even if they were to go back and test it again, we wouldn't know for sure. Oh, this is going to be one of those unanswered questions forever. Well, yeah. I mean, technically, Hotman was tried and executed for the crime and so in the eyes of the police he did it but yeah so legally we have an answer but for the rest of us we don't know. we're just not sure and so that's the case wow i'm left with a lot of questions yeah me too there's probably more than i could find on it but this is kind of the basics so if you are still interested i'm sure that there's more info if you dive really super deep there's probably a ton of conspiracy theories yeah (laughs) probably okay crazy dude that was really really crazy i know i oh i'm so upset we never got to know what happened (laughs) oh poor charlie jr oh i know i i feel like what i feel like happened is somebody might have used the ladder to get in and then dropped him on the way down and that's how the ladder broke yeah, that was my first guess. But because now knowing how shady Charles Lindbergh, Lindbergh like, was. Well, like maybe Lindbergh was involved and Lindbergh was helping them kidnap his son. Mm-hmm. And then maybe he died by accident. That's also a good theory. Like maybe they were trying to kidnap him and do all the ransom stuff as like a hoax. And then on the way out of the window, he 
got dropped and hit his head. That would like explain the gashes in his head or whatever. But I mean, yeah. the autopsy wasn't properly done either. So yeah, that was my only other theory is that like Charles Lindbergh dropped him on purpose or Charles Lindbergh dropped him by accident and then was like, I'm going to hire these two guys to lead the police around on this crazy, crazy chase. And then no one was suspected. Yeah. Or like maybe somebody. Maybe somebody dropped him. It's very possible that that it was a complete accident. But because he was so famous, he was like, we got to make this. Or he did it on purpose because of the whole eugenics thing and then hired these men to make it said like, oh, I'll pay you the ransom if you like act this out and make it look like you did it. And then Mm -hmm. you'll get the money and I'll get off and we'll be square. Yeah. Either way. Yeah, either way. I mean... I mean, we could believe whatever we want at this point because we'll never know. So pick your favorite. (laughs) If you have any ideas, please send them to us. We would love to read your uh, theories. Yes, I'm going to look forward to all those theories in our email inbox, which you can email at... DeadDrunkPod at gmail.com. Or you can send us a... What are they called? Just slide into our DMs on Instagram at... DeadDrunkCrime. Or you can tweet us. We don't really tweet, but you can tweet. You can tweet at us. Yeah. I don't know how Twitter works. (laughs) (laughs) At DeadDrunkCrime. Yeah. We also have merch, and I'll link that in our show notes. We're also... We're doing a giveaway right now. I'm not sure when we're going to end the giveaway, but if you go to our Instagram, you will find the post. And all you have to do is tag three friends and then give us a case that you want to hear and follow us. Yeah. Don't forget to follow us and tell all those friends to follow us and tell your friends' friends and your mom and your cousin and your everybody cousin you and know. Your cousin. Oh, or you can head on over to the, to the website, check out the blog, read through all the cases, check out our drinks at deadrunk.home.blog. Okay, that's it. That that's was good. Yeah. <laughs> right, do we have a caboose today? We want to talk is about. Is it me singing Evan Hansen? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Not because your singing voice isn't beautiful, but because if I hear it, that's what I'm going to be listening to for the next few weeks. <laughs> All right. So for our caboose today, I have found a quiz on play.howstuffworks.com. <laughs> called the ultimate true crime quiz i'm ready so shelby and i are gonna see if we can pass it all right so which serial killer enjoyed dressing up as a clown and working charity events john wayne gacy yes (laughs) good 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 all right off to a good start yeah that was an easy one though i feel like it's gonna get harder all right well don't jinx us (laughs) the saint valentine's day massacre is associated with what famous criminal is it al capone george moran it's al capone okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i just needed to hear the name <laughs> yeah which man was the most prolific known serial killer in united states history oh, is it ted bundy no he's not on here it's oh. either gary ridgeway oh i think jeffrey it's dahmer or paul knowles i think it's gary ridgeway i think he has the biggest body count is that what they mean i'm i'm guessing I think it's Ridgeway. I feel like Jeffrey Dahmer is there to throw us off. I don't know who Paul Knowles, Paul Knowles is. Yeah, I don't know who he is, so I feel like he's not it. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, you're right. It was Gary Ridgeway. Oh, woo. The Green River Killer. He had not 49 victims. Oh, that new guy. At least. Little beats him if it's all corroborated. Oh, really? Yeah. Samuel Little has confessed to like to 93 murders, and I believe they've corroborated 80 of them. Oh, wow. Or so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Fuck, dude. All right. 93 <laughs> murders in 19 states. 
Yeah, we should probably talk about him. Yeah. Next week. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Which serial killer claimed that a demonic dog commanded him to commit murder? Oh, son of Sam. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about that. Quiz for you guys. <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about that when we covered him, but. <laughs> it was like his neighbor's dog. It was because it's like, it's, uh, well, I mean, we're already covering how nuts his brain was at the time. Yeah. Like his brain's a little bit better now, but, and he's, I think he's admitted that it's nuts, but. He's never talked about the dog. I don't know if the dog is Satan. <laughs> the dog still could be Satan. The jury's still out on the dog. Wait, William Aarons? Herons? Hirons? Hauptman? Hauptman? Anyway, William. Hi, we're I'm dead drunk say, and we don't know how to pronounce names. I'm going to say Aarons. It's like spelled like an air, like H-E-I-R-E-N-S. Okay. Anyway, he became famous for leaving messages written in what? Lipstick, feces, or blood. <laughs> okay, so I feel like it's either lipstick or blood. <laughs> I almost want to go with feces. <laughs> I feel like it's probably blood, right? It's a serial killer. I don't know. I really want to say lipstick, but we could we could say blood. That is the more likely option. Or do you think they're like trying to trick us with that? Oh, I think or they're definitely trying to trick us, and it's probably feces. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, so what should I go with? Um, lipstick? Nah, maybe we should just go with blood. You, you've you been pretty right so far. Uh, well, you've been pretty right, too. I don't want to be the one that... Okay, then pick feces <laughs> and right, just go, go with, with the feces. wrong option. Oh, uh, it was lipstick. Oh, woo! Yeah, well, we got an, that one wrong. feces. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. That's some dedication if he wrote all his messages and poop. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, kills somebody and then, like, actively <laughs> shits. Them. And then forms words <laughs> with it. <laughs> Oh, yikes. Okay. Ooh, serial killer Ted Bundy. Yes. Once worked at which organization? A funeral home, a suicide prevention hotline, or a heart hospital? A suicide prevention hotline. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Because he was great <laughs> at negotiations. Did you see how he negotiated his own freedom? <laughs> <laughs> well, he negotiated the his way into execution. <laughs> yeah. Metal Fang was a serial killer known for what? His kennels full of vicious dogs, his white metal teeth, or his pet wolf? Probably his metal teeth. I don't know why you would know those other two things and not be able to catch him. <laughs> yeah, and like metal fang that would be teeth, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was also a cannibal. There we go. Oh, cool. But if you knew that somebody had like was a serial killer and had kennels of vicious dogs or a wolf... Then you have caught that serial killer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's not a lot of people that have yeah, those things. That's true. <laughs> All right. How did the giggling granny kill numerous members of her family? Oh my god, what? I have no idea who the giggling granny is, but I am researching it for a case. I don't know. Is it is thing. it arsenic? It's probably arsenic. Poison, a knife, or a car? Yeah, I would guess poison. It's a granny, right? Yeah, I would guess poison. Yeah, she killed eleven family members, including four of her husbands. Whoa. <laughs> damn girl the giggling granny yeah. is her name i wonder why she was called that that's so funny it's a way better than metal fang though <laughs> no which serial killer kept victims heads in his freezer jeffrey dahmer yeah. <laughs> Moving on. yeah we're not even reading the other answers <laughs> for that one all right what prison sentence did lewis garavito receive for murdering 139 boys in Colombia? 30 years 30 life sentences or death I want to say 30 years because it's Columbia. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, my God. 
It says the government scrambled to find other ways to keep him locked up. What do you mean? How were there not any? You have all you need. 39 people and he's away for 30 years. But Josh Phillips is in prison for life with them. Well, that's because we're in America. If he was in Colombia, he probably would be fine. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Which serial killer was known for dismembering and beheading his victims? Son of Sam, BTK, or the Cleveland Torso Murderer? The Cleveland Torso Murderer. Yeah. It's like right it's in literally the name. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was. That's what I was like. Uh, okay. Um, I thought it was here. a trick, but then I was like, well, we know it's not Son of Sam or BTK. Yeah. All right. Can you imagine Dennis freaking Raider, who is BTK, guys, trying to dismember somebody <laughs> and like bumbling it up because he's a goddamn idiot? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not goddamn. He's a certifiable idiot. <laughs> BTK, if you're listening, you're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Timothy McVeigh killed 168 people because he was mad at the government for what? The Ruby Ridge incident, the Branch Davidian siege, or the Iraq war? (laughs) I don't know what most of those things are. I don't either. Pick the middle one, the siege. He's mad about the siege. Yeah, he was. Oh, my God. (laughs) 19 children were killed by the bomb he set off in Oklahoma City. Did it make a difference on the siege? Probably (laughs) not. Probably not. (laughs) Bugsy Siegel got his nickname because of which characteristic? He had bug eyes, he looked like Bugs Bunny, or he went into murderous rages? I think he had bug eyes. No, he went into murderous rages. Let me look up a picture of Bugsy Siegel, because maybe this is like up for interpretation if he had bug eyes. You know? Yeah. Wait, but like, what does Bugsy have to do with you flying into murderous rages? You get like, he, like bugged, bugged up. Out. Oh, yeah. No, his eyes are pretty normal looking. They're not really buggy. Oh, okay. That's one I wouldn't have gotten on trivia. I wouldn't have gotten either of the last two. I expected John Goaty to go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah, right. No. How many children committed suicide at the People's Temple in an act like by Jim Jones? Fuck Jim Oh Jones. my god, what a terrible question. I don't know. 93, 128, or 303? Oh, too many. I think it's the it's the last one probably because I hate him so yeah, much. It was 303 children. Overall, 909 people died. Oh my god. <sighs> we could cover that one, but that's like a... But I hate him so much. Yeah. Which serial killer sent complex coded messages to the media? Metal Fang, Green River Killer, or the Zodiac Killer? The Zodiac Killer. F yeah, dude. I just want to know who that is. I know. I'm like pissed about it. Yeah. All right. So he was convicted of 48, but how many did the Green River Killer actually confess to murdering? 60, 70, or 100? I think it's 70. That he confessed to, right? It was a hundred. What? Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. We are apparently true experts. We got 20 out of 30 correct. We scored better than 76% of quiz takers. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know either. (laughs) But, you know. But it means you're in the right place, listener. Yeah. All right. If you're still listening, why? I'm so sorry. That was such a long quiz. (laughs) All right. Bye, Mom. Bye, Mom.